We'll open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll continue in a series that we began a, a couple of months ago on marriage and the family and singleness and parenting. And we are looking at what genuine femininity is. We looked for a few weeks at masculinity and what a man's role is in marriage. And now we're taking a guided tour from Paul and from Peter on what it means to be a godly wife. Let me read these verses for you. Very familiar. First Peter chapter three, verse one. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectable behavior. Your adornment must not merely be external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. And then he shifts and says, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. The good news of God is called the gospel. And the gospel is very simple. Man was born in an indescribably hopeless way, distant from God, separated from God because of the sin of Adam, which passed on to all of his descendants, including you and me. The wages of that sin is death, not only physical death, which we will all encounter, but eternal death away from God in heaven. In a most mysterious and gracious decision, God purposed and accomplished a way to save sinners destined for hell from himself by giving his only son to die as a substitute for them. And he offers us salvation in the next life from hell and in this life from hopelessness and purposelessness by believing in who he is and what he's done in Christ. That's good news. That's the great news. He raised Jesus from the dead and offers us the power to endure any hardship, any suffering, any difficulty, any trial, any circumstance because of the good news of the gospel. The New Testament unfolds that the gospel has obvious and demonstrable effects in the lives of believers. One of the first and foremost places that this shows up is in the family. I think there's a reason that so much attention is given to the family dynamic in the New Testament. You, you don't have to 
fake things in your family in order to be accepted. They're going to be your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your, your son, your daughter, your aunt, your uncle, no matter what happens. So the, the fear of loss is not there like it would be with a friend or with someone you were dating. It's, there's not as high as stakes. But the gospel should have deep and abiding impact in marriage, in parenting, in how we relate to one another. Peter lays this out after having talked about the men through Paul's pen. Now we come to Peter looking at the women, at wives. At the heart of this passage is a subject that I want us to take the most of our time to talk about this morning. There's no debate that our world has a modesty problem. The human heart leans hard towards showing off. We're all proud and prideful from birth. And modesty is not merely a female problem. It's showing off in the heart by what you're like, what you look like, and by what you wear. Come join me at the gym and watch the men being very immodest. I'm not talking about in some kind of sexual sense. I'm talking about the fact that they could easily wear a fully covering their torso t-shirt, but that's not what they wanna wear. They wanna wear these little tank tops that show off their arms, which are much larger than mine. Not that I've noticed. But the point is that they, I mean, you can see them looking in the mirror, you know, they just, and it's, that's immodesty as well. The point is immodesty is showing off with your body, either the way it's shaped or configured or by what you wear on top of it. Now, the woman's fashion industry uniquely aims at self-promotion and pride by revealing a woman's shape to show off. I find it interesting that the overwhelming majority of designers for female clothing are men. Open your eyes, pay attention. Too much, too little, too tight, too loose, too thin, too low, too high. Nancy Lee DeMoss has written an excellent little booklet on modesty called The Look She compares in one section uh, the world's philosophy of clothing and God's idea. Let me just blister through this list really fast. The world's philosophy, beauty is external, physical, God. Beauty is internal and spiritual. The world, the body is all important. The spirit is secondary or non-existent. God's idea, the spirit is eternal and the body is temporal. The world says your body is your identity God says your body is a temple and it houses your true identity, which is your soul. The world says you are the product of evolution. Your body belongs to you. God says that your body is his and he has divine ownership of it. The world's philosophy is you dress for people to notice you. God's idea is that you dress to please God and reflect his glory. The world says the purpose of clothing is to reveal the body and encourage sexual attraction. God's idea is that the purpose of clothing is to cover and conceal the body and its nakedness. The world says if you've got it, flaunt it. God says exemplify humility in your modesty. 
The world says highlight and draw attention to the body, skin, and private parts. And God says draw attention to the spirit, the countenance, and the heart. The world says to be loved, a woman must be beautiful and alluring. God says you are perfectly loved by God, designed to be beautiful for his glory. The world says the body has no worth and you can trash or ignore it. God says your body is God's home, take care of it. The world says the body is, the, is to tempt or tease others. God says use your body to protect and edify others. The world says give your body freely to others. God says give ownership of your body to God alone and save your body for your spouse. And lastly, what you wear is just external, says the world. God says what you wear actually reflects what's going on in your heart. When you look closely at what Peter is doing and saying in this passage, the context is, is in a bigger context of all Christians are called to submit to God. Government systems, human institutions, slaves and masters or employees and employers. And then he turns in the same way in chapter three, verse one, and says, wives now have an operation of submission in their relationship with their husbands. But he goes on beyond just that submissive relationship and talks about how their heart is to be revealed, what influential powers they possess in who they are. As he looks at what it means for an a saved wife to influence her unsaved husband, he points to things that are character related that I think every woman can learn from and frankly, every man can learn from as well. Now we said last week that uh, true femininity is, is two points of distinguishing. It's distinguishing a girl from a woman and a woman from a man. So a woman is a woman instead of a girl. She's grown up, she's mature, and she's a woman instead of a man. She's feminine in her own account by biblical definition. And we dove in looking at five pictures of a godly woman's femininity. Five pictures of a godly woman's femininity. We only did number one last week, and we're only gonna do a couple more <laughs> this morning. Number one, she is submissive in her marriage. We have looked at this from Paul's pen and from Peter's pen. As I said last week, every single passage that deals with wives in any kind of instructive manner uh, notes that she is called to be submissive. Now remember, men should be worthy of that submission as a husband. And uh, single men and women should be thinking about this at the forefront of their minds. Your submission younger or older or any age single women, your submission given to a man is the greatest gift you'll ever give away. So choose wisely. Submission doesn't mean that you are following someone in sin. It means you're following his headship and his leadership. And we have multiple weeks in the past that you can go back and listen to those recordings if you wanna know what that means. Let's move on to number two. She is respectable in her behavior. Now notice what Peter does. He says that the loudest a woman's influence can be sometimes is not with what she says, but with how she is. They can be won, the end of verse one, without a word by the behavior of their wives. That's profound. 
That doesn't mean that anyone will ever be saved without a true articulation of the gospel. It must be articulated in words. It must be understood. The facts of Jesus' life, the theology of who Jesus is, the call to repentance must be articulated. But sometimes to get the attention of someone, especially as an unbelieving husband in a household with a believing wife, behavior is the loudest thing you can say. Behavior actually shouts character. We know this in verse two, that they will observe your chaste and respectable behavior. And that's part of winning them without a word. Notice the reference of they. They will observe. Who's the they? In the context, it's unbelieving husbands or ungodly husbands or immature husbands. Two qualifications, chaste, pure, sexually, and in her attitude in all of her life, respectable, literally fearful or reverent to God, not fearing her husband, but operating in the fear of God. That's chaste and respectable. You boil this down, you put this all in the blender and it comes out, she's a godly, holy, God-fearing woman. That's what it is. Her godliness is her leading evangelistic power. Now, in order to understand what that means fully and further, he uses the next few verses to explain. And we're not gonna get any further than the next point, which is she is purposeful in her adornments. She's submissive in her marriage, respectable in her behavior. Now he starts explaining that. And one of the first things he turns to, the first thing he turns to is she is purposeful in her adornments. Verse three. Your adornment, what you're noticed by, we'll talk about that word in just a moment, must not be, the New American Standard says merely external. The Greek says external. It's pretty simple. Your attractiveness should not be external. Then he explains what he means. Like braiding the hair. If you have braided hair this morning, please stay. This is not, he's not saying if you braid your hair, you're ungodly. Or wearing gold jewelry. If you have a gold wedding ring on, please don't rush out of the building. Or putting on dresses. This is not to say dresses demonstrate ungodliness. <laughs> None of these three actions are sinful in and of themselves. What he's talking about is contained in the word adorn or adornment. Let your or let her adornments. Now the word for adornment, uh, some of the commentators had a lot of fun with this and I'm gonna try not to be overly humorous about it. But the word for adornment there is the word cosmos or order. And it means to take something from the state of disorder into a state of order. Cosmetics come from this Greek word. You can think that all through. Disorder to order. Now, does he, is he saying, well, if you use cosmetics, you're wrong. That is not the point here. Cosmos means literally to beautify through decoration, to bring into order. And the issue that Peter is talking about here is using your physicality, either your body itself or the way you dress in order to show off. That's the point of immodesty. You're showing off. 
Paul says the same thing to Timothy. Likewise, I want a woman to adorn herself, same word, pull herself into order, present herself with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, he says in 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. Not with braided hair, he goes back to that. Gold pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women to make a claim to godliness. He's making a distinction between the internal character of a woman and the external showing off of a woman. This is biblical modesty. Modesty is two basic things. Not using what you wear to show off and not using your body to show off. That's the essence of biblical modesty. Now, please, again, please do not misunderstand. The apostle is not condemning jewelry, a specific hairstyle, or clothing of high quality. There's nothing wrong with owning nice things or fixing your hair. Solomon's bride herself is, 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 is put forth as an honorable woman because she wore gold and silver Song of Solomon 1, 10 and 11. Rebecca did the same thing. She's honored for looking beautiful. What he's saying though is if you're dressing ostentatiously to draw attention to yourself and that had become a problem in the Ephesian church that Paul had talked to through Timothy and in the Jerusalem church that Peter is addressing here. Again, it's the heart issue of motivation. Now, let's, let's be clear here. Women in the first century to whom Peter was writing were dressing in such a ways as to separate themselves from the poor and identify sinfully with the wealthy. I think if we were to, when we say immodesty in, in our culture, we usually think of the revealing of, of the body or, or nakedness. That was not on Peter's radar because it just wasn't happening. Now, the principle perfectly applies here because it still goes to the heart of pride of showing off of trying to attract someone to yourself by external features not internal features in that day dressing like this was dressing like a harlot these phrases describe how a harlot would attract customers I mean we have to ask some questions what associations ladies do your, does your dress suggest do you think that you've ever given a man even far worse a man in our ministry a man in our church a reason to be distracted from worship that's the context of first timothy is women were dressing in such a way that men were distracted by their dressing from worshiping christ does do the choices you make about your clothing intend to draw men's eyes to something other than your heart? The able Lutheran scholar Linsky wrote this. Paul is not insisting on drab dress and neither is Peter. Even this may be worn with vanity. The very drabness may be a display each according to her own situation. The queen not being the same as her lady-in-waiting, the latter not the same as her noble mistress, each with due propriety as modesty and propriety will indicate when both are attending the divine services or their, their uh, uh, jobs before God and appearing in public or elsewhere. What he's saying is you dress appropriately. You dress appropriately. Now look at the contrast. There's a central contrast in verse four, but... 
Let it be the hidden person of the heart. Let your adornment, what's attractive about you, be the hidden person of the heart, which is a, an imperishable quality contained in a gentle spirit and a quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Again, the contrast is internal and external. The idea he's, idea he's addressing here is a continuation of a woman adorning herself. We adorn hearts more than we adorn our external. Our cosmeto, our best cosmetic, our best bringing order out of disorder is in the heart. Here's what I think Peter is after specifically. Ladies, when you dress, are you in any way dressing in such a way to bring attention to the wrong parts of you in God's eyes? Where do you want others' focus to be when they look at you? Now, let me just footnote this. This doesn't mean you can't dress nicely. I'm not gonna embarrass my wife, but she is the most beautiful woman on the planet. She dresses beautifully. I saw her not long ago. We were separated in a mall and I I came around a corner and I saw her and my first response was not, there's Kim. My first response was, she's beautiful. And then this instant thought of, wait a minute, I'm married. Oh, I'm married to her. It was just this, she dresses wonderfully. She dresses modestly. I think she's pretty. I think she's pretty when she dresses up. This is not saying, ladies, go to Idaho, buy a potato sack, poke holes in the ar- for the arms and wear that and let people notice your heart. That's not what he's saying. Please dress nicely. There's a difference between dressing attractively and dressing to attract. There's a huge difference. The Bible's clear that when we have this focus, we're looking at the outer rather than the inner. The, the, the focus of scripture is always on the inner, on the heart, Romans 7, Paul says, I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. The focus on who we are really. And Peter's words do not seem 2,000 years old here. Still the same temptations we face today. The question is simple. Are we going to put more work on developing our character or our physical appearance? That's the question. Which do you put most, char- m- most um, uh, time into? Character or physicality? Can, can I just be as, as blunt as possible? Compare getting ready in the morning to your quiet times. I'm not being crass. It's, it's a very good analogy. Do you spend more time looking at the outside of you to put it into order Nothing wrong with putting it into order. Or are you putting any time, the same amount of time into your heart? And by the way, men, the same applies to us too. This is not just beating up on the ladies. We need to be working on our inner man more than the outer as well. This issue of modesty though, I think is is one of the trap doors of the modern church. And if I can just be pastorally, bluntly honest with you. I 
I should not be surprised anymore, but this shows up in such obvious ways in formal events, particularly weddings. For some reason, girls think that modesty can somehow be suspended on a day in which, on which everyone is looking directly at them. Bridal gowns and bridesmaids dresses. I, I just... I just grieve sometime to think this is the day when everyone is looking to you with the most intensity. This is the day that will be captured by video and by snapshots the rest of your life. And one day you're gonna show this to your daughter and have to say something like this. Please don't dress like this in public. It just happens over and over and over. And I, I just wanna bleed on you for a second. I'm surprised how much pushback I get in talking to young brides sometimes about wedding dresses. And they're, they're offended that I would bring it up. And yet for some reason, that's an okay day to be immodest when everyone's looking at you and it's a worship service to ratify a covenant. I digress. Um, if a woman shows up, think about this, at an event, with other Christians, and she's dressed immodestly, very few people would say much to her, even though they may say something about her. But what would happen if this happened? Think about this. Just dream with me for a moment. What would happen in this scenario? A woman shows up at an event, ill-clad, immodest, showing more of her physicality than she ought to. She would be horrified. And the people standing around her would all turn white with astonishment or red with embarrassment if someone would honestly tell her what they saw. Commenting on shape or size or something. People would say, I can't believe you said that. But no one's willing to say, I can't believe you wore that. What a problem. Doug Wilson says, we are all playing show and tell, but too many are willing to show and not enough Christians are willing to tell. He's right. Are you letting the tailors at the Gap or Abercrombie or Fitch or, those are the same thing, I think, are they? Are you laughing with me or at me? H&M, whatever, buckle, the, just you name it. Are they determining your modesty? Oh, if I hear it again, if I hear it again, Rick, you don't know how hard it is to find something immodest. First of all, what does that tell us about our world and culture? And secondly, I know many godly women in our church who have no trouble finding immodest clothing because they dress beautifully, but they don't dress to attract. Clothing was given to you by God to conceal nakedness. Modern fashion industry invents clothing to reveal nakedness. Who's determining how you're looked at? 
style is not what's so alarming. It's the heart of women who are determining these things. And I just, I have to say this. Dads, where are you? Dads, where are you when your daughter walks out the door? Moms, where are you? These are decisions and discussions that should be had often. I think most women at Mission Road Bible Church dress modestly. I don't think we have an epidemic problem here. I'm great, grateful for that. But I hope that we have a teachable enough culture that if there are problems, if we, we see adorning someone adorning themselves externally merely and not internally, that we have the freedom to talk about these things and that you're teachable enough to say, oh my, I didn't realize that. I wanna give you just a very quick aside, a theological foundation for thinking about modesty. We covered this a few years ago, but it's worth repeating. A theological foundation for thinking about modesty. Four or five points here. Number one, God made man as spirit with a body, not a body with a spirit. And what I mean by that is your spirit is what is gonna last forever, not your body. Genesis 2, 7, the Lord formed a man out of the dust of the ground, breathed life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. He put the resident part that's going to last forever in a body that's going to die and decay and be buried. The body without the spirit was just a shell. But the spirit without the body is eternal. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you love, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You want a good test of, of uh, whether the clothing is modest? Stand with your parents, stand in the mirror and say, is God pleased with what I am wearing? Secondly, God created the beauty of the human body. God did create the beauty of the human body. When, when uh, Adam uh, was, was naming the animals and it was uh, male, female, male, female, male, female, male, female, you know, buck, doe, uh, um, uh, bull, cow, over and over. And then, it, then he looked at himself and it was just him. Then God put him to sleep, took a rib, made Eve, presented to her. And the Hebrew is just an exclamation point. He says, wow, this one, is like me, she's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. When I looked at the giraffes, when I looked at the gorillas, when I looked at the, at the rats, I was like, okay, okay, okay. But this is, oh, wow, that's the point. She's like me, I'm attracted to her. God created that beauty. God created that attraction. But that attraction Though it is okay, obviously, to be externally attracted, read the Song of Solomon, is also coupled with the inner godliness of a heart. In Genesis 1.25, it's the last time that nakedness is mentioned in the Bible without being connected with shame or contempt. The man and the woman were created, put in the garden, and they were naked and unashamed. Postmodern fashion really ought to think about this. Fallen humans cannot recreate the state of shameless innocence. 
and we've talked about before, right? I just, uh, I'm amazed at how attracted Solomon was to his bride. Differently than me, but Solomon looked at his bride and in Song of, Solomon, Song of Solomon chapter six, verses five, six, seven, and in seven, chapter one to nine, he said things like, honey, your navel is a round goblet. Your belly is like a heap of wheat. These were compliments. Your neck is like a tower of ivory. Your eyes are like the pools of Heshbon. Now, even if you don't know what Heshbon is, doesn't that sound pretty? Heshbon. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. Apparently she had a larger nose and he liked it. Your head crowns you like Carmel, which has always puzzled expositors because Carmel is crowned with snow. So I don't know if she had a nice little veil or lace or if she just was turning gray. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes. Smile. You, 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 you. Your temples are like a slice of pomegranate. You know, I love my wife and I've complimented my wife for many years, but I've never sat beside her, looked at her temples and thought, pomegranates. I love this one. How beautiful are your feet in sandals. He went from the top of her head to her feet and he said, even your feet are attractive. And they even said, the curves of your hips are like jewels. God intended for the human body to be beautiful and enjoyed in the context of marriage and in marriage alone. God intended that. Number three, God intends that clothing conceal nakedness. Let me get that right this time. God intends that clothing conceal nakedness. He, 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 he said that the, the fig leaves that the first couple sewed together was sufficient to cover nakedness, but not sufficient to cover their shame or their guilt. That's why he gave them new clothes made out of leather, out of skins. How did they get that skin? The death of an animal that had to die to cover their shame. Listen, fig leaves would have covered their, their nakedness easily, but it would not have covered their guilt. Something, that's the first sacrifice in the Bible. Number four, God has created a place for the enjoyment of nakedness. Sometimes we don't accent this enough. God has indeed created a place for the enjoyment of nakedness. Hebrews 13, 4, it's in your Bible. The marriage bed is to be held in honor among all. It's the marriage bed, only between a man and a woman who are married. It's undefiled, not for fornicators or adulterers, because God will judge them. So knowledge of and intimacy with the human body is for a married couple alone. And number five, God always sees external actions as the results of the heart. Now we're back sliding into First Peter. God always sees external actions as the result of the heart or as results of the heart. You are wearing, think about this, men and women, you are wearing your theology right now. What you think about, what you believe about God is always reflected in every dimension of our life, even what we wear and how we wear it. 
Proverbs 31, 30. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is what? Vain. But, but a woman who fears the Lord, she will inherit praises. Even more graphically, Proverbs eleven twenty two. As a ring of gold in a pig's nose, a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. And in the context there, it's a beautiful woman who does not know how to control her beauty, even with her adornments. Please note, I am not ignoring the responsibility of a man to control his eyes. That's another sermon. But ladies, when you are modest, you are encouraging men to look at your heart, your commitment to the gospel. Back to Peter. Instead of adorning yourself externally, using clothes to attract let it be the hidden person of the heart. Adorn yourself, put yourself in order, not only with the external adornments with your attention, but look at your heart, the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable. This doesn't go away with age or with death. The imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, this is it. It's precious in the sight of God. Notice adornment there is what you see. And the eyes that Peter focuses on here are God's eyes, not anyone else's. I had a young woman confessed to me one time and I appreciated her honesty that she found herself dressing more to impress other girls, not in an inappropriate way sexually, but to, just to show off. She wanted to dress more to show off with girls than even guys. Whose eyes are you dressing for? That's the point here. Whose eyes? Precious in the sight, the vision, the eyes of God. But it's Allah's, the strongest contrast. It could be translated, nevertheless, your adornment, what you're known by, should be the hidden person of the heart. Few women, or even men for that matter, are willing to put their most intense efforts into what is hidden. Why? Because you think no one will see it. But God does. You might be right if you're aiming at the wrong eyes. I love Proverbs 31. Many daughters have done nobly, verse 19 says, but you excel them all, Lemuel says. Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Now listen to the last part of the verse. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she will be praised. Do we have a culture in our church of praising heart issues? What's the content of such character development? Two, two adjectives, gentleness and quietness. Gentleness, it's pros in the Greek. It means humble, strength under control, contented. It's especially contrasted with a pride in showing off. It's a sweet humility that does not promote herself. By the way, this was a quality that Jesus had in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 and 21, 5. Jesus was gentle. Come to me, I am gentle. Meekness. Just means you're humble. It means you're not showing off internally or externally. 
And then quietness, it goes in tandem. This does not mean that she cannot speak loudly or that she does not speak at all. I am deaf in one ear and sometimes my sweet wife has to say, Rick, 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 and it keeps going up. This doesn't mean that she's violating that. It means peaceable, at peace, lacking, striving against God and circumstances. Content. You could say it's just a... um, a heart that is content and deep content. These two words magnify that same issue. It means that she's not a complainer. She smiles at life because her mind is gripped and preoccupied with heavenly realities. And look at the two qualities of this. It's imperishable. It won't go away. Clothes will go away. Clothes will go out of style. No one has ever in the history of clothes or external adornment bought a shirt, I'm sorry, a blouse and said, that's it. I will never need another article of clothing the rest of my life. This is, I'm gonna wear it every day. Well, first of all, that would be fashionably uncouth. It also wear out. This gentle and quiet spirit is imperishable. It never, never wears out, never goes out of style. And then secondly, it's precious in the sight of God. It means that she dresses her heart and she dresses her body so that God sees and God cares. Now, I can say this looking closer to 60 than any other of the tens. So much of the way we think wrongly pushes us to try to look and act like we are decades younger than we are. I'll talk to you a little bit next week about the fact that wrinkles and gray hair and aging in God's sight and in the church's sight should be honorable. Now, I know what some of you are saying. What if I highlight my hair? What if I, that's not what this is talking about. But are we trying to postpone the, the inevitable? Adorning yourself for the eyes of God. Meditation on the eternal nature, internal nature of who you want to be before God's eyes. You know, 1 Samuel 16 The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him, speaking of Saul, for God sees not as a man sees. Just stop right there. God looks at different things than you and I look at. God accepts different things than you and I accept. God approves of different things than you and I approve of. What are you talking about here? Man looks at the outward appearance, but say it with me, the Lord looks at the what? Heart. And by the way, men, one of the most fundamental features of our Christian existence is to imitate God. So we too must dress and act, conduct ourselves in a way that's looking for his approval and his eyes, not not anyone else's. What you wear, Peter is saying, 
in the context of winning an unbelieving husband, in the context of demonstrating your femininity, in the context of demonstrating your godliness, what you wear should not be the most attractive thing about you. It's what you're like. It's who you are. Why? It will last forever and it pleases God. I began by giving you a simple overview of the gospel and saying that has effects. There's another way of looking at that too. If, this is, if, this is, if these are things that we wrestle with in our hearts, then we have to ask ourselves, what place does the gospel truth and good news thinking have in the way we dress, in the way we shop, in the way we talk to our children about dress, in the way we talk to our young men and young women about these things? Gospel has effects. Just heard a debate politically uh, last week, and you've heard this over and over. And a certain pundit was saying to a person on the opposite side of the argument, you just don't remember that elections have consequences. You heard that before? Well, in a parallel sense, we have to remember that conversion has consequences. It changes us. It changes who we are and it changes our values. And it makes men and women precious in the sight of God when we have our hearts adorned with holiness and godliness more than attempting to attract with externals. Well, next week she is biblical in her imitation, vulnerable in her role, and we'll wrap up the section on the ladies.